1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day
3: returns. With the contract, right? Our no booze contract? Yes. Is that, we didn't actually state that it was 100 days consecutively. As long as I do 100 days sober. Buddy, we
0: mentioned that the 28th of April is the day that you can drink again which is a hundred days from when we set it.
3: I don't think we did that. On, yes, we did. I, we didn't do it before we shook at least. So. Yeah, we did. We shook. And then we said, we should just looking for wiggle room.
0: Hey, <laughs> any... Hey listeners, welcome to a um, Friday episode, by the way. Um, Alex, if you haven't listened to our bonus episode, we have made a bet with Alex Mitten that he's going to do a hundred days sober. Whoever loses has to pay a thousand pounds to charity, a charity of the person's choice. Mm-hmm. Um, my charity choice is my bank account. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to quickly
3: set up a charity. <laughs> but we're
0: going to do that and you're 100 days sober Alex then sent me a message last night with a picture of a non-alcoholic beer saying yeah. suck on that yeah so, just
3: showing you what, I'm, what I've got
0: and then when we walked up the stairs to do the podcast he went 100 days is going to be tough it's only <laughs> been two days it's yeah. been two days yeah it's going
3: to be hard Look, it's, what do you mean it's going to be hard that's it's what alcoholics the, it's, say it's, it's, nearly easy. The, it's nearly the weekend it's you know I have got, I can feel the the energy the vibes coming back in that, what you that do early. what you do is this yeah what do I do you do this you, you
0: get drunk You wake up, you feel bad, you feel terrible about yourself. Oh, I'm never drinking again. You say that, and then you you get to the weekend again. You
3: do the exact same thing. Also, I was with Robo last night. Told me you were bitching about me turning up hungover to this. So. You, can, you did turn up hungover to this. Yeah, I know. I wasn't it, bitching. It became part of my character, all right? I, was, I had to keep it up.
0: <laughs> I was not bitching. I said, yeah,
3: he turned up hungover. Don't you ever go behind my back again? <laughs> what? I will... I'll
0: say it on the podcast. You
3: did. Everyone I'll, knows. I'll say it
0: on the podcast. Everyone knows you turned up hungover that time. That was fine, though.
3: Okay. It uh, wasn't bitching. Well, uh, anyway, it's still going strong. Day two. <laughs> Fucking, yeah. I'm really. You're I'm killing it. Prepared. I'm killing you're it. Getting- i shut Shut up. Are you look, why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> you, know talking, ah. you know everyone's talking about you. What? <laughs> Can you turn the lights down in here? <laughs> anyway, it's going really well. Um, we need to intro the, the podcast rather than just talk we about do, ourselves. We do, we do.
0: Sorry, we are going to. We also, don't forget for bonus episode. Um, we have our wedding planning section mm. back on. Sophie is going to come on and we're going to talk about what location we're going to have the
3: wedding. I can't wait for the suggestions.
0: Yeah, so we're waiting for the suggestions. If you haven't sent in a suggestion, we're going to literally uh, consider them. Contact private parts. <laughs> we producers. are
3: literally going to consider them, which yeah, basically we are, means yeah. we are not going to fucking consider yeah, well, them they're
0: going to. these guys are going to be the first to know where we're going to ha- set our wedding. It's very exciting.
3: What? Okay.
0: And the date and everything. So, um... Nice. If you want to get in contact with us, contact at privatepartspodcast.com or slide into our DMs at privatepodcast. Please let us know what you think and join us on Wednesday's bonus episode. So, come on, she's going to be there chatting wedding and stuff like that. Um, okay, today's episode, we have uh, Ed Winters, Earthling, uh, uh, Earthling Ed. Ed, Earthling Ed. Now, obviously, it is uh, January. A lot of people are doing veganry, mm-hmm. um, becoming vegan. Now, this is a great episode. We have a great debate. Um, whether you're vegan or not, you're going to love this. Um... I very much... You you very much hate animals
3: um, with a passion.
0: I have a vegan company. I I, I love the idea of being vegan. I'm I'm a flexitarian. That was purely
3: financial, though. (laughs) You saw a gap in the market. You (laughs) realised that it was going to be the only financial... Viable thing. <laughs> oh, shit. I need a drink. I need a drink. <laughs> Fucking drink. Um, but it
0: was. It, and I very much challenged some of the views, or tried to challenge. What you'd What you'd done is you'd you'd Googled I'd quite a bit Googled of stuff it.
3: beforehand, and then just kind of regurgitated it. Just, regurgitate. just so there was a counter argument, which was good, because otherwise I feel like we would have just agreed. You on You had to have a counter argument. You very much sat on the fence, as you do. I didn't it. sit on the fence. Actually, you I was. I was. Oh, on, I, I was. You I was with Ed. You were we with were Ed. We were snuggled up in an avocado having a. <laughs> having a cucumber water <laughs> <laughs> it was, i was on was his it side comfy in there? oh it's fucking creamy <laughs> it was real good
0: avocados are terrible for the planet
3: yeah oh, the cartel is also like avocado wars because it makes so much <laughs> well, money throwing so, avocados at each other yeah it's, oh, it's, a, it's a real guacamole <laughs> <laughs> there's probably a joke in somewhere. he's, I, back,
0: <laughs> yeah. he's back um but it's it's a very interesting debate and um i would be interested to know what your thoughts are on this if you think that we um, had a good debate, if it was interesting whether you you were going to be turning vegan after this, whether you're not going to be turning vegan. Mm. Um, I just think it's interesting to talk about this kind of stuff. So um, hopefully you enjoyed Ed Winters was an amazing guest. Ed, thank you so much that his book is out um, so you go and check it out. It's, this is Vegan Propaganda um, It's a great book. We're going to leave the links below Enjoy this episode, this Friday episode um, for everyone out there.
3: We're talking veganism. We've got some other guy who clearly has no idea what he's talking about, <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying to counter his uh, his argument. Um, it's enjoyable. <laughs> I sat in the middle of it all. Ed Winters on the podcast. Enjoy.
0: Do you know what is interesting about this episode today? Uh, we have done, I reckon... Maybe six hundred episodes of Private Parts. Maybe a surprise you if you've ever listened to it. I've never prepared anything for any episode. Really? Yeah, I've never prepared anything. I don't believe that. I, I promise. I'm I promise you. I've never prepared anything. And um, and today, uh, I I slightly looked at some notes. Oh. <laughs> I slightly went over some different things. And actually, um, for the past week since I knew that we're having you on, I. Looked at all your interviews, all your YouTube channel, your podcast, whatever it was. And um, before we start, I just want to say I admire you so much oh. because of your patience. Thank you, Jeremy. that you have in these situations. It's it's even now when you sit here, you're waiting for me to finish. Where I would talk over someone straight away. Sure. Where does that patience? I think come that's from? just common politeness. Yeah, well, I don't know. No, it's well, just it, you're just a rude arsehole. Shut up,
1: you wankers! All right. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I'm trying to be nice. Where does that patience come from? I think it's practice. Um, I'm very I'm very aware that when I talk about issues like veganism, of course, it's, it's a hot topic. And people are very opinionated about these issues mm-hmm. and people have a lot of views about them. Um, and so I, I, I'm hyper aware that if I don't respect people and don't listen to them and don't give them a chance to express themselves, then the conversations I have are just going to end up in arguments and they're not going to get anywhere and it's all going to be pointless. Because, you know, people have this same impression of vegans, whether it's right or wrong, that we're militant and dogmatic and extreme and all of these things. I used to think the same thing. So when I have conversations, I'm very much of the impression I don't want to perpetuate that idea of vegans. So that's where I, it comes from. I really. guess it's like the same with the environmentalists as well. Sure. If you if
3: you go in too hard with someone, it almost pushes, it pushes them the other way and then... You know, you're not going to even meet in the middle ground. They're going to go, "Well, fuck off!" Like exactly. If you're coming at me aggressive, like so, I, I can see
1: why you've had to pick up that patience. Definitely, it's a work in progress. You know, work in progress. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes someone will say something, and I think, "Well, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard." You know, people yeah. honestly, when it comes to business, clenching, some- clenching, <laughs> <laughs> clenching your fists, internal <laughs> <laughs> yeah. fury, but I'm, and I'm totally. Careless. I want
0: to see in your home life where you just go nuts, just smashing cabbages, just punching yeah. pillows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, Ed, so Ed, your name is Ed Winters. Your nickname or your kind of sort of um, name that you run by is Earthling Ed. And for people, a lot of people know who you are. I know who you are. Alex knows who the team here all know you are. But for people who don't know who you are, can you explain your beautiful story that you have about your journey and where you got to where you are now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So obviously I'm vegan now and my life's work, if you like, is revolving around, you know, talking about veganism, spreading the message, trying to influence people's behaviors towards veganism. But I wasn't born in a, in a vegan family. Sometimes people have this impression that to be vegan means that you must have been raised in a family that were at least sympathetic towards it. But mine weren't and, and still kind of a little bit more iffy about it, right? So I was raised just eating meat, dairy and eggs every single day, never questioning it. And then in 2014, I came across this story. And it's a sad story, but it was a poignant moment in my life because the story was about a truck carrying around six and a half thousand chickens. And the truck had crashed on the way to a slaughterhouse near Manchester. Mm. And I remember reading this story and feeling very horrified because the journalist was describing what had happened to these chickens. Hundreds were dead, hundreds more were running into oncoming traffic. And for the first time in my life, I ended up sympathizing with chickens, which whoever does that, right? No no one sympathizes with chickens. Mm. And yet I'm 18, 19 years old, thinking about these chickens and going, oh, hang on a minute, something's wrong here. Um, But KFC was my favorite food back then. I loved KFC. I used to go twice a week. The workers at my local KFC knew my name. So I had this little bit of rapport with my local KFC workers. And all of a sudden I'm feeling sorry for these chickens who I was eating twice a week, sometimes Mm. three times a week. So I reached kind of, pardon the pun, but like a fork in the road. And I realized that my values and my actions weren't in alignment. Now in Britain, we are you know, proudly a nation of animal lovers. We always talk about that. And I I was, I'm the same and I was the same. I always thought, you know, people that harm animals, that's a terrible thing to do. But then I thought, well, hang on a minute. Am I inadvertently through my choices harming animals? And so I went vegetarian and then I watched a, a documentary called Earthlings, hence where the name Earthling Ed comes from. And the documentary just, I mean, it's not a nice watch. It's an objectively very graphic, horrible watch of what we do to animals and afterwards I was feeling very upset and I had a little pet at the time called Rupert, Rupert the Hamster. And so I went and sat with Rupert the Hamster after this film had finished and I was looking at him and Rupert the Hamster loved broccoli. It was his favorite food. Absolutely loved it. So I got him <laughs> some broccoli from the fridge, gave him a little bit the florets did did you cook it or is this just raw raw. he's he's like super he (laughs) was super healthy raw vegetables yeah Yeah. exactly
3: (laughs) exactly right so I
1: gave Rupert some of this this, uh, broccoli and I watched him munch away on it and I'm thinking wow you know Rupert has all these likes and dislikes he also hated kale right what sort of hamster doesn't like kale I thought you know that would be a staple but he didn't like it and so I was thinking about him having these likes and dislikes and this personality Mm. and I just thought about all the other animals and how they have likes and dislikes and personalities. And we use this word sentient to describe them. Sentient mm-hmm. meaning conscious, you know, having the capacity to experience, to feel, mm-hmm. to have emotions, both positive and negative. And then I thought, well, what about the animals who I pay to be exploited on my behalf? Should mm-hmm. they be factored into my moral consideration? And that that's what led me to veganism, ultimately.
0: It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing story. And... um and, and one which I, I always admire people when they're passionate about things, whatever that is. It doesn't matter if it's water skiing, veganism, or going to the gym. If you have a passion, I think it's amazing. And you're obviously incredibly passionate about it. But you obviously are, you know, you're faced with a lot of opposition. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah a lot of the time, right? And, and rightly or wrongly, you are. Now, in this conversation we're going to have today, right, I, I'm probably going to say things that are stupid. And if I do, tell me that they're stupid. Or sure. if I say things, and I, I like kind of... Um, having a debate about this, because you have to be sort of, conf- not confrontational, but you have to get into these debates. Have you always been someone who likes debating?
1: No, no, no. I, I hate confrontation. Really? Same. Because yeah, you've, you've now,
0: you're now known for almost being confrontational where you turn up to radios or rodeos, or yeah. you go to, um, you know, farming gatherings and things like that. And you question these people who are there. But if you're not used to that and you shy away from
1: that, that's quite a hard thing to change as well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I don't like confrontation. I don't really like arguing with people. And I think interesting that that's probably led me to kind of more of this stuff that I do now, like these table debates where I go mm-hmm. to universities and just set up a table and invite conversations because I just want people to, I just want to have a friendly conversation. Now, I, I like it's people. It's quite hard to get punched uh, the other side of the table. You've, <laughs> got, you've, that's, got, that's you've got a got little be, bit of a leeway. A <laughs> <laughs> At rodeos, it's a little bit more, you know, they <laughs> yeah. live a little, more, little bit more violently by nature, don't they? over there? Um, so yeah, I think it was just a, a case of me wanting to be with, I like people. I'm a people person and mm-hmm. I like interacting with people. I enjoy people's company, even people I don't know. And so having these conversations about veganism, I really like it because I get to know people mm-hmm. and I get to know people's feelings and beliefs and values and I get to pick up on their behaviors. And I just really enjoy that aspect of what I do. And, and so it's not, I try to avoid the confrontation aspect of it, but undeniably there's always going to be confrontation when talking about big, you know, moral issues, which of course this is, so yeah, it does happen. But,
0: but, it, but, it, but it's, it's funny because I then watched this um, one where you did, it was a hunter versus a vegan and it was this lad Bible thing. And you were actually quite uh, kind towards the hunter because the hunter actually, in my opinion, didn't quite know what they were talking about. And you always <laughs> encouraged the conversation. It was almost like a teacher trying to help her answer your questions, like answer your questions. You were helping along. So I suppose, which you probably never been asked because people sort of attack you and maybe sometimes they would think that you attack them. If you were going to argue against yourself, is there anything that you can possibly think that you would go, oh, okay, okay, this is the argument against veganism? I've thought about this
1: a lot. I always try and do like the stress test with my arguments, yeah, you know? Yeah, because that's a good way to test things, right? Absolutely. And you know, I, I always think that the, the thing I feel most sympathetic towards people about when it comes to this issue is people's accessibility, you know? And I think that obviously veganism is an issue because it's now, we we now have a choice, you know, we Mm. have the option to be vegan or not vegan. Whereas in the past, we didn't necessarily have the option to choose plant-based foods because they weren't as available, weren't as as accessible. So I always think that we need to strive to make veganism consistently more accessible, more available for people, you know, the plant-based substitutes more affordable. So in terms of an argument, there's no moral argument that I I I have found so far that goes against veganism, but a, a societal argument would be that we still need to make it more available and accessible for everyone in society mm. you know what i mean by that
0: yeah i i know exactly what you mean but i think that's hard. some people believe that being a being vegan is like an elitist point of right. view right it, because it it's it's hard uh to become it's expensive it's um it's a definitely a, a it's it's a way of life i was listening to your podcast with jay shetty and you know we there are all the things and you can mention them much better than me that the sort of when you become vegan, you have to be careful about, you know, your iron intake. Um, you have to be careful about your zinc and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And there are supplements you can take. However, you're, you're having to take these pills or supplements. You, there's something called Crona, which you mentioned, or um, where you can judge the calcium levels. Oh, Chronometer, chronometer exactly. So you're living a life, it's, it's a way of life.
1: Well, it's a lifestyle choice, but so is eating meat, dairy and eggs. And I think what I like about veganism is there is this attitude of scrutiny about it. So when we talk about nutrients, you know, iron and zinc, you should be aware of, but you don't need to supplement iron and zinc. You can get them from plants easily enough. So it's just a process of education. And even with that point about it being expensive, you know, sure, if you want to live off beyond meat burgers, that's going to cost more Mm. than, you know, buying cheap beef burgers. But at the same time, you can also afford very cheap vegan foods like you know, fruits and vegetables and brown rice and pastas and potatoes and lots of staples, which are also the healthiest foods, you know, incidentally as well. So you can be an expensive vegan, but you can also be a vegan on a budget. Mm. Um, And nutrients wise, you just have to be educated. But I think the the trap that we fall into is thinking that if you eat meat, dairy and eggs, therefore you're getting all the nutrients. But actually many people are nutrient deficient when they eat meat, dairy and eggs, because we're just not educated enough about where these nutrients come from in the first place.
2: For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
3: Ryan Reynolds
1: here from Mint Mobile.
2: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
3: I I think it's quite interesting placing veganism in like modern culture, like placing it against this ultra meat heavy world that we've lived in and looking maybe at what like the history of veganism was and, and how that existed previously. Yeah. Do you, know, do you know much about like kind
1: of where the first sort of the idea of, of living a vegan lifestyle kind of came from? Well, it depends, how you, it depends how you define veganism. Obviously throughout history, there have been cultures and communities who have abstained from eating meat. And yeah. you know we look at Jainist cultures and Buddhist cultures, Hindu cultures. But in terms of like vegan being uh, an ethical, philosophical stance, it kind of really emerged in the early 20th century in the UK. A guy called Donald Watson mm-hmm. was part of the Vegetarian Society and he said, "Well, hang on a minute. You know what about dairy and eggs? We should we should do something." And the society, the vegetarian society, said no. So he created his own society and, and called it veganism because he took the veg from vegetarian and then the a and the n from the end of it and said, "Let's mm. cut out the middle and just go straight for vegan." So that's kind of where it originated in terms of being like an ethical, philosophical stance, not yeah. just a religious thing, but saying I'm not going to eat animal products because of this moral, um, I guess you know the moral implication of continuing to harm animals, if you like.
3: Yeah, I guess, because when you, as I was talking about contrasting it to, to modern society, it does seem like kind of an extreme thing to do. But actually, if you were to go back, you know, hundreds of years, it wouldn't maybe be seen as extreme because I feel like we as humans have taken, th- as we do with everything, we've yeah. pushed everything to the limit. and And I think, you know, Veganism in its current form has maybe been born out of a recognition that we're kind of fucking everything up. the The way that we farm everything, the way that we do everything, is is yeah. just so detrimental. Yeah.
0: Also, I think we should probably lay out our stances where we. Please, are. Yeah. Yeah, because that's it. So I. So I. I would just call myself a flexitarian. Sure. Okay. I mean. That's basically saying like your ex not, not
3: That's not what people call you behind your back. <laughs> <laughs> Just to let you know. It's,
0: it's <laughs> uh, you know, I have a sweet company, Candy Kittens. We're completely vegan. The reason why we became vegan is because we wanted to make the best sweet possible. And we thought, re- yeah, for the cash. And we thought, <laughs> re- yeah, we thought, re- but we thought removing um animal gelatine, uh, all the sort of bad ingredients, that, that was making it a better product. And so that's what we wanted to create. I haven't removed meat totally from my life for, for, sure. uh Mainly down to pleasure, I would say. Sure. Sensual pleasure, right? This is sensory pleasure. This is the one, and this is the one that we can talk about as well. Um,
3: And Alex, you're the kind of same, I would say, that you sort of flex between the two. I mean, I'm probably further towards vegetarianism and veganism. I rarely eat meat. Like, I probably eat it like. But you eat fish, right? I eat fish, yeah, a a bit, not loads, not loads. See,
0: I I, I don't eat red meat hardly ever. Mm. I eat chicken. I eat a lot of fish. Sure. Fish is fish is my main source of diet. I would say, and. It would struggle to cut out. My my sort of thing is this: you're saying it's uh, it's far, farming is ruining land. So th- this is my my point that I want to try and stress. And also, I'm I'm just here. I, I don't have a view. I'm, I'm more excited for you to educate me. Sure, yeah. right. But I think it's important in these situations to possibly throw in a debate rather than just one-siding stuff, right? Oh, I, well, I mean, that's what I do. That's what you do. So yeah. get ready for you to be beaten. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Earthling> <laughs> owns, yeah, yes. yeah, Here we
3: go. <laughs> Jay, I can't wait for okay. your, uh, your input here. Okay, but it's me?
0: true. Okay, so the, the point is, is right. Um, okay, if we look at farming, for example. Sure. What you want to do is you, you want to educate farmers to sort of change the way that they farm and to do to farming crops rather than... Um, farming animals and things like that. That's the sort of idea and educating them towards that. When you when farmers farm a field, right, when they so sort of a surf or whatever it is, they um the amount of field mice that are killed, the amount of bugs, the amount of maggots within uh, cow pats, um are in the that but well, it's true, it's within the thousand thousands. Mm-hmm. So and if a farmer then sends his, you know, his cows and the pastor to uh slaughter, that's maybe hundreds or whatever it is. So it, so the amount of bugs and field mice and things that are being killed when a field is being sown is far more, it seems like. So where does the arbitrary line stop? Is is a cow more important than a bug because you can see it and feel it and understand it and touch it and it produces milk? So where is the line? Does that make I, sense? I, I, I yeah. have
1: two things to be. Okay, go. I, was
0: that total nonsense? Or the, no, that a-
1: no, no, no. That's actually a very educated, very... Sensible argument. Right. Okay. Um, so let's see how we can deal with it. So I think the first thing to consider is, well, the field mice one is a little bit of a, a red herring. You know, if you try and catch a mouse, they're going to get away from you. So a big combine harvester coming across the field, most of the larger mammals, you know, the the rodents as well and the birds are going to clear off pretty quick. But the insects is absolutely true. Of course, insects are going to get, you know, um, yeah, they're going to get macerated by a lot of this equipment. But at the same time, what we have to consider is that animals who we farm are also fed crops as well. Even grass-fed animals who are out in pastures are often supplemented with things like hay and silage, which is basically grass that's grown in fields and then um, you know, harvested and dried and then used as food. So when you look at land usage, the majority of the land that's used is used for animal farming, even when it comes to, to cropland, for mm. example, as well. So even if we make the argument that all these insects are killed, well, there's more still killed for the animals who we consume because the animals who we consume are also fed plants as well. And I think when you said about cows, you said, you said hundreds. Well, it, it's millions in the UK alone. Mm. Billions when we look around the world. So actually more, more insects are also killed in the production of, of plant foods for animals than they are plant foods for humans. But beyond that point, I think what you, I think the interesting thing of what you said there is how do we rank life? Mm. That to me is a mm-hmm. really profound and great question. Now for me, I look at life and I base a moral consideration on sentience, that word I used earlier. Mm. And so if I put it into a perspective or into like a um, a scenario for us, you know, you may have heard this in, in one of the interviews I've done recently, but. Let's say we have a burning building and in that burning building, you have a human and a dog and you can only save one life in that, in that building. <laughs> you say dog? Okay, all right. Well, many people have. it was do. Jay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I probably, probably saved dog. the cockroach. But
0: typically people would <laughs> say the human, right? Save, yeah.
1: Typically they say the human. And so we, you could find reasons why that would be morally justified, right? But like, the point in that is, it's not just then justified to harm a dog normally. So we can create distinctions on life based on things like sentience. So let's say that we have a situation where, where there's a cow or an aphid or a green fly or whatever it is in a burning building, we'd opt to save the cow because we recognize that the cow has the sentience, the capacity to experience emotions. Their life has more value to them than the, than the aphids does to the aphid. So you can mm. create distinctions. So if we had to choose between killing you know, animals like cows, pigs, and chickens, or killing insects to farm them for crops, even outside of the context of more insects being killed for, for animals currently, even outside of that context you could still find the moral distinction that makes killing the insects worthwhile, more morally justified than killing the animals we currently kill to conventionally consume.
0: But but does that argument work? Because then you're still picking... You're still picking but sides, right?
1: We have, to, right? I, we have th- to, and we can't live a morally puritanical life. Yeah, and so what we have to, to do achieve. is choose a, a way of life that reduces suffering the most. That's the important it's, question. It's
3: just, I think it needs to stop being so black and white. And it's, I mean, it's maybe a slightly utopian way of looking at things, sure. but it's like about readdressing just our respect for animals, for nature, for everything. And in doing so, we will minimise death and there will be less of a deficit.
0: I I don't know why Um, I'm I'm sticking to this. And also I'm not, I'm, I'm, I have a vegan company, right? I'm, I'm, I'm for veganism, Yeah. but I just think it's important because it's just important to have this conversation, but we, we want to educate people. And I think you use that word the whole time, educating people on what we can do differently and how we can help things, you know, but if you look at sort of, um, you know, farming cultures or farming industries or, or farming families that have done it for generations, That's the only thing they know. Sure, What you're doing, you're asking them to completely change their business model. And if you go to someone like Dyson and say, okay, we don't want you to do any fans anymore. We want you to start selling swimming pools. They wouldn't be able to do it. So therefore they would be out of jobs. So I don't think you can educate people to farm things differently because it's actually pivoting a complete business. But it's
1: not as much of a pivot as the example yeah. you use there. What we have is a situation where we farmers are—they're basically meant to be stewards of the land. You know, that's their primary focus. You know, stewarding the land and providing for human society—that that should be what their aim is. But what we have right now is an industry that's not stewarding the land. Is is ravaging monoculture farming is just like basically destroying everything because it's
3: not natural to have yeah. one crop over, like you know millions of hectares of land I mean even it's, just recent, it's, it's, it's terrible for the soil it like it takes all actually also takes all of the carbon out there's a really good documentary yeah it with, takes
0: out the nitrogen and things of that yeah, of the land. so yeah. we're not putting back enough nutrients I, in right there's a really
3: good documentary about this California couple that um, they move out of the city and they want to set up a farm so they, they get the specialist who is a polyculture specialist sure. and they basically speak to a lot of farmers in it. And the, the argument is that actually, if you can create this harmony, this polyculture harmony, where you've got all of these different, you know, crops and, and animals all living in a particular space, it actually kind of, it works for itself. And also you can, it, it's more profitable. And you also set, you know, you back yourself because if, if, for example, you've only got one crop and there's, there's a drought or there's, um, you know, disease, then your, your year is fucked. Whereas if you've got 30 different crops, you're kind of like, you know, you're covering your backs um, so they're saying that if, if if they can revert to a more sort of you know ancient way of farming, which is this polyculture way of doing it, then it will be a lot more profitable. Yeah. It's just trying to get out of these these old models of of well sort of newer models of yeah. doing things where they have to spray so much um, you're, so, you're, so 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 much uh, you know pesticides. Sh- pesticides and stuff to keep the crops going because
1: they they've just ravaged the land so much.
0: But but then what you're telling you're t- you're telling people to change a whole culture. <clears throat> which is well, not
1: necessarily. About... I mean it's about this notion of suffering. And so I think what we have is a situation of farming where it's maximizing the suffering that's caught been caused but not for any great benefit for us. In fact, the detriment of our species with the environmental degradation mm. that comes as a result. Now I think that there is this idea that vegans want all animal farmers to switch to plant farming, but that's not that's not strictly the case because the last thing we need is to take all the farmland that's currently used for, fa- for animals and grow plants. And we, we don't want to do that. Mm. What we want to do is something called rewilding the land. So rewilding means taking farmland that's currently used and returning it back to nature. So that could be reforesting, um, you know, creating peatlands, wetlands, uh, wildflower meadows, long grass pastures, whatever it may be. And so what we can do is we can incentivize farmers who are currently grazing animals on this land to instead return that land back to nature. Now, what we have to bear in mind is we subsidise farmers by billions, with billions of pounds every single year. Explain that a little bit more. Absolutely. So subsidies are taxpayers' money. So when we we pay our taxes, a portion of that money is given to certain industries. It's given to fossil fuel companies. It's also given to the agricultural industry as well. Mm. And the purpose of that is to drive down the cost of production so that we can maximise the amount of food that we produce and make it cheaper and more affordable to produce as a consequence, cheaper for the consumer. Um, But what we have is a system now where we're subsidizing farmers so much that 90% of the profits of grazing animal farmers, that's cattle farmers, sheep farmers, 90% of their profits is coming from the taxpayer. And and those products are still expensive to buy in a supermarket. So this Mm. is not an economically viable system without the help of the taxpayer. So what we need to do, in in my eyes, is still subsidize these, these farmers but give them the money they're currently given to rewild that land. You know, rewilding increases biodiversity. It means we can absorb carbon, sequester carbon from the atmosphere because we've got trees and, you know, wildflowers that are good for pollinators and all of these things. And so when we talk about changing culture, we're not asking farmers to no longer live on their land. We're not asking them to move into cities and work in supermarkets or any of that. We're asking them to keep living off the land, but do so in a better way for all of us, which undeniably, a system that's more focused on nature than on production must
3: be. I I can imagine a lot of the farmers would actually probably welcome it because it sounds like the industry's really struggling to yeah. keep up. Like, If, if 90% of their profits are coming from, from subsidies, yeah, then it's obviously, it's obviously an industry that's not working, right? Yeah. But,
0: but, but people are stuck in their ways, right? It's very hard. You're stuck in your way. I'm stuck. You're stuck in your way. We are stuck in our ways. And it's very hard to create that shift. Absolutely. Yeah. From your side, Ed, okay. Did you become vegan because your love for animals? Or was it because you couldn't justify why killing animals was right in any way.
1: Yeah, people have this idea, I think, that to be a vegan means you have to have this compassion towards animals that's almost unnatural or abnormal, you know. Or you must really like animals. The truth is, I don't think I... I, I know lots of people who like animals who say they would more than I do. You know, I don't like snakes, but I don't want people to just go and harm snakes. So for me, veganism isn't an issue of, of compassion, it's an issue of, of justice. And so mm-hmm. what I mean by that is, <laughs> if we leave today this podcast studio and we go out for a walk and we come across a dog and we don't kick that dog that's not us being compassionate. So in the same way that if I can avoid putting a pig in a gas chamber or paying for a cow to have their throat cut, I don't view that as compassionate because I think it's just the right thing to do from a justice perspective, not to put someone, you know, a sentient being into a situation where they don't have to be placed into that undeniably causes them harm and suffering and and robs them of their their life. It's a culturally learned behavior to view some animals as being food animals, some as being pets. So, you know, we, we do have this you know paradoxical attitude mm. towards different animals when morally a dog's capacity to suffer and feel love and all these things is is more or less the same as the pigs, at least in a way that makes you know them both morally relevant so it is an arbitrary cultural distinction that we've created it's not grounded in anything that makes any real sense because for you know for one animal we love them as a family member, we mourn them when they die we we you mm. know, we, we grieve their loss, but then for another we you know raise them in farms where we mutilate them. We put, you know, mother pigs in, in things that we call farrowing crates that they can't even turn around in for weeks at a time. And then we kill them in gas chambers, you know, over about 90% of all the pigs in the UK are killed in gas chambers. Wow. You know, so what is the moral distinction between a dog and a pig that makes that acceptable for a pig, but the, you know, not acceptable for a dog?
3: I think, I think, I think um, going back to the compassion thing, I think a lot of us are still very compassionate. I think it's just the fact that it's so dislocated. Like people don't know or see this. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And if they right. saw it on a daily basis and they saw the pigs being treated that way, they would probably stop. Yeah, yeah it's, but just, it's just because it's presented to you as like- People this, don't this, choose this to, delicious, That's thing. It's delicious. It's very and, easy to, to not, right? Yeah, yes. but
0: people, people choose not to, right? That's the whole point. There's actually like a syndrome, I think, where people actually choose to deny that thing because if they, they know if they actually saw it, and they wouldn't actually approach the situation.
1: Yeah, it's like willful ignorance, isn't it? Yes, We exactly. maybe deep mm-hmm. down think, oh, you know, you know, maybe I shouldn't be supporting this. But as you say, there's labels and there's adverts on TV and we've been raised to believe it's normal and acceptable and fine. So we don't want to dig any deeper and go, hang on a minute, you know, should I be paying for this to happen to an animal when I don't have to? Like, how do I justify, you know, paying someone to lower a pig into a gas chamber when I can buy something else instead? But that disconnection, as you say, Alex, so perfectly is what I think drives so much of this, mm. this industry.
0: Oh my God. Honestly, I'm I'm so psyched on this podcast. We're going to have to stop there for part one. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about your book. Yeah. Can't wait. We're going to talk about, I want to talk about uh, laboratory meat. Oh, you're good. Yeah. And nice. see your yeah. view on that. And yeah. so many other things. Don't, you can't go anywhere. No, I'm, I'm stuck. hostage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stuck in the cage that we're in. Um, And we're all naked. So (laughs) We'll see you in part two. Okay. Okay. (laughs) See you in part two. Bye-bye.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods